Hey all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back, Nature Nerds. Megan here with Jen, my lovely co-host across from me. We're going to be talking about people in peril, cautionary tales, and nature. Hello. Welcome to our second October spooky episode. Today I got some super spooky stuff. I cannot wait because you're going to hate it. I'm going to be super creeped out. Yeah. We will be doing a Patreon shout out at the end of this episode. Yes. We did get one kind of campfire-y creepy hikey story from a listener of ours which we'll be reading in a future episode if anybody out there has any other stories you want us to share during the month of october send them to our gmail absolutely (laughs) (laughs) you drank so much bang today you know what i didn't have celsius today they were out of it at the store i purchased bang it looks like a freaking shotgun sighting thing on the front it's so intense there's just some things I won't buy. Yeah, I kind of regret it. It's like one of those it's like one of those creatine drinks. It's so not good for you. But I was like, I just want a little extra oomph today. I was going to clean my house. It's like the five hour energy drink. Yeah. <laughs> a little that I shots. could never drink before in my life. But all no. of a sudden now I'm like, I just need a little extra caffeine. And it was a lot of extra it caffeine. It was a lot. And then I crashed hard <laughs> before you came over. Full on torpor Sunday. It's going to be real quality today. (laughs) Are you ready for some science news? So ready. So this comes from Science Daily. The title of this article is Dragonflies Likely Migrate Across the Indian Ocean. I might have talked about, it wasn't, I don't think it was dragonflies. I think it was bats, maybe, that go across the uh, desert, Yes, I was going to say, this was the the marathon. Yeah, marathon de Saab. Yes. Yeah. Which actually they just finished the other day. Yeah. FYI. We've been following. Timely mention. But this is about dragonflies who can migrate thousands of miles across the Indian Ocean. So it came out October 4th, earlier this week, last week. And there's this international research team and they, because they can't put like a tiny tracker on dragonflies, like they haven't made trackers that small yet. Nano trackers. I'm just even trying to picture that. Like catching them. And and they're trying to fly. They're like, oh, why is it so heavy? (laughs) So instead of that, they actually just created a bunch of models to figure out, yeah, using scientific modeling. And they figured out that it is possible for dragonflies to get across the Indian Ocean. Wow. Which is how far? It is 2,000 kilometers of open sea. That's far. Kind of interesting. The way they came up with these models, there's this marine biologist, Charles Anderson. 2009, he was observing dragonflies in the Maldives, these globe skimmer dragonflies. And he thought that they actually had flown over from India. And then when they flew off again, it was towards East Africa. So these scientists today, Joanna Headland and her colleagues are looking at that migration of those globe skimmer dragonflies from India to East Africa. They only weigh 300 milligrams, very, very small. And they looked at like how much fat 
the dragonfly can store in its body. Dragonflies have fat. I would. I just wouldn't think that. Right? But they do. What they did is they looked at the physiological aspects of the dragonfly. So how much fat they can store in their body and how long they could stay airborne with that energy. They also looked at meteorological wind models to determine if the winds would be able to push the dragonflies along. So it looks like the dragonflies actually will migrate during certain times of the year when the wind is like optimal for them. Uh-huh. After they looked at these factors, they put it into a model, and according to these simulated migration experiments, about 15% of the dragonflies could manage the migration from India to Africa in the spring. But in the autumn, 40% could make the same journey in the opposite direction, probably because of winds. So is it like a lot of them at once? Right? I don't know. What do you call a group of dragonflies? Oh, that's a very good question. I'll Google it. Continue. So it turns out there's also other animals that use these favorable wind conditions when they migrate. Mm-hmm. So there's one example, the Amur falcon and the Jacobin cuckoo, I guess, which are both birds. Uh, mm-hmm. And they fly across the Indian Ocean as well. This is so amazing. A group of dragonflies? Uh-huh. It's called a swarm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's... All right. Terrifying. A swarm of (laughs) dragonflies. Do they go over in swarms? I do not know. I would think that if they went over in swarms, that would affect how they could travel, right? Uh, Yeah. Safety in numbers, though. This is true. I don't know. They could just ride over on birds, maybe. Just catch a ride. I mean, they're so tiny. (laughs) (laughs) They consider this study important for a couple different reasons. One is that it helps us understand the distances that a very tiny insect can travel, which is kind of cool. One of the smallest known migrants of the animal kingdom. If you will. And then it also helps increase knowledge on how migratory animals can spread diseases, how they can move around all the different locations on the globe. Kind of interesting. They do have a little mention of, I mean, every article we talk about now has a mention of climate change and how the possibility that climate change might affect the chances of birds or any of these uh, skimmer dragonfly in the future to be able to travel across the Indian Ocean because wind patterns might change when water surfaces get warmer. The reason I chose this too is because I really love dragonflies. Like in the summer and stuff, we would go and do like little, you you go to like the side of a creek and you can find dragonfly larvae everywhere and they're so creepy looking, Mm -hmm. but then they turn into beautiful dragonflies. You know, when I looked up what a group of them was called, which is a swarm, I found some other, they have like a list of fun facts. You want to hear a couple? Yeah, let's hear a couple. They've been around for 300 million years. That kind of makes sense. Millions and millions of years ago, they had a wingspan of two and a half feet. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Well, you could put a tracker on those. (laughs) Yeah, that would have worked. People in Indonesia eat them for a snack. There you go. Do they like fry them up? I don't know. That, that's like how to eat fried worms. Dip some peanut butter. I don't know. Having a dragonfly land on your head is considered good luck. I did know that. Also, watching them similar to bird watching is called oding, which comes from the order classification odonata. That's cool. And they mm. also need to warm up in the sun in the morning before they can start flying for the day. Nice. Thank you for those. Jim. Little little add on there. When I was a kid and I was on the lake and I'd be like, oh, look, it's like a tandem, like the two dragonflies <laughs> together. That's so that's cool. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They were doing the thing. Doing the, they were making more dragonflies. So that is uh, my science news for this week. I am uh, excited to get into your possibly very scary, spooky October story. I put a collection of stories together to lead to another story and then another story and another story. I guess that's what a collection of stories is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a collection of stories. There's going to be one after the other. 
They're going to be in succession. First, I'll start with one. Perfect. And then I'm going to read. I'm going to have some other ones. Excellent. Okay. So, Megan, are you ready? And they're spooky? Megan. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just want to be able to sleep. All right. That's all. I'm saying you will. I don't know. You may not. This might bring up some stuff. (laughs) So, I'm going to talk about ghosts of Japan. Oh, no. (laughs) Why would you do this to me? Listen, Megan, in the end, it won't be scary, I promise. We're going to get scary, and then we're going to back away from scary. That's like the number one scariest topic in the world for me. Let's just get it out of the way right now. Let's just do it. Earlier, you were like, you're going to totally lose it. Like, I think we're going to learn a lot today, Megan. Yeah, yeah. I'm already tearing up. You're fine. Listen, I'll take you through this gently. It'll be fine. You'll be okay, everybody. There is actually a tear. Starting to come down her face. It's the grudge all over again. So let's start off with the fact that I don't speak Japanese. It is not my language. It is not my culture. Why didn't you learn it in a week? I know. I upfront apologize for my terrible pronunciation. I'm going to do my best. Is this like an upfront apology? It's an upfront (laughs) apology for anything I'm going to F up. As I go through this, I have faith in you. Thank you. And I'm going to tell all this with the with the utmost respect for the culture because I can speak for you too, Megan. We mm-hmm. freaking love Japan. Oh, obsessed. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful place with amazing people. Mm-hmm. It's one of my f- most favorite places I've ever been. Yeah. And I've been there a couple of times. I'm lucky to have gone a couple of times. It's the best food I've ever had. The nicest people. It was great. I can't wait to go back. So I'll just upfront say that that's probably what drew me into wanting to talk about this. Yeah. In a lot of cultures, the dead have great relevance. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. in every culture, living and dying, we all live, we all die. And it's all about how we pay homage to our ancestors. And it's all a little different in every culture and depends on people's religions and backgrounds Mm -hmm. and everything. In Japan, death is almost as important as life. When a person dies, they believe that their soul travels to the Yomi no Kuni, which is the Shinto religion mm-hmm. afterlife, or the Anoyo, which is the pure land of the Buddhists. To get to those places that you want to be, there's a lot of things that need to fall into place along the way. And the road to getting there isn't always easy. If it is difficult or things don't go the way they're supposed to, it can make a spirit turn into a yuri or yurei, which is a Japanese ghost. These spirits are considered a subset of the larger category of yokai, which are encompassed by like strange supernatural beings in Japanese folklore. To talk about yuri as like just as ghosts is like kind of a generalization because there's a lot of different kinds of yuri. They can be good and they Mm -hmm. can be bad. And a lot of the stories that are linked to different yuri are from different time periods. A lot of scholars don't necessarily even agree on what constitutes a yuri. There is a professor, Keller Kimbrough. He's a professor of Japanese at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And he says different versions of the same story can present conflicting explanations. So as an example, in ancient Japan, yuri were invisible and formless. During Japan's high-end period from 794 to 1185, they were indistinguishable from human beings. Most of their use in storytelling from the time comes from a living person interacting with a yuri and they have no idea. That's from another scholar, Davison. 
but I'm sorry, I don't have the first name. The one people think about today when they think about the yuri, it dates back to Japan's Edo or Tokugawa period from 1603 to 1868. And it's more that pale face spirit with the messy black hair. I know about those. The white burial kimono and no feet. And some experts believe that Edo era Japanese artist Maruyama Okio popularized this depiction when he painted a portrait of his dead lover, who was a young geisha that came to him in a vision. A lot of the images that they use now come from Japanese folk- folklore, and a lot of it is part of their art that just goes way back. They say that these souls are trapped between the world of the living and the dead. They're kind of all wrapped with around legends, rumors, traditions, mysteries. A clear example of that being part of their traditions nowadays is the Oban Festival. When we were living in Manoa, we went to the Oban Festival like they every do it year. In, in Honolulu. Yeah, and you dance around the shrine in the middle and there's a lot of lights. It was the best. It's an annual Buddhist event paying homage to their ancestors. It almost reminds me of the Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. right? They do like these choreographed group dances yeah they believe that the ancestors return to this world in order to visit their relatives and so mm. a lot of those dances are like storytelling or paying homage to the ancestors they hang lanterns in front of their houses to guide the ancestor spirits they do the oban dances or bon odori which mm-hmm. is probably what you're, you saw bon dance yeah yeah so the um graves are visited and food offerings are made on um, house altars and temples and at the end the floating lanterns are put out onto rivers and lakes or in the sea to guide the spirits back to their world if you ever have a chance to go to one because it's anyone can come to them you don't have to be related to like someone who's passed or whatever yeah and you can join in in any of the dances it's like this celebratory time it's very like which i think is really cool yeah it's it kind of shows how comfortable they are with death it's um, observed around the 15th day of the seventh month which is usually july according to the solar calendar mm-hmm. however it usually it happens in august mm-hmm. according to the formerly used lunar calendar it's mainly from august 13th to 16th in some areas it varies from region to region in japan so they might have it at different times and it's one of their three major holidays so the other ones are New Year and Golden Week. Probably you witnessed those as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, because just there's a really large Japanese population in Honolulu. According to the Shinto tradition, everybody has God within them, similar to what we know as like our soul. And when they die, the God frees itself from their bodies. The spirit needs to reach the afterlife, but it's a difficult task. So when a family member in Japan passes away, the relatives of that person will have to watch over the deceased to help like accompany them on their journey to the afterlife by doing all these certain rituals. And once all those rituals happen, then they can uh, move to the afterlife with the other ancestors and they'll watch over their living ancestors, you know, the people still alive on the earth and protect them from misfortune. So it's really important that all these things happen. A lot of these customs and rituals, they're all kind of based around Buddhism and Shintoism. In Shintoism, death is seen as something impure. So most funerals in Japan follow the Buddhist rituals. And the deceased are always cremated and buried in a family grave, unlike how we... You get put in your own In your own grave, in your own spot, right? Mm -hmm. But there it's like one, it's like a family marker and everybody goes in. Which I guess is a lot easier when everybody's cremated. So Japan has the highest cremation rate in the world. And it's 99.97% of people are cremated. 
It's like I want to ask, but what about those other point three point zero three point zero three people? Yeah, probably they just follow a different religion. <clears throat> they just happen to be in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Cremation in Japan was originally practiced by monks, mm. inspired by Buddha, who gave detailed instructions regarding his own cremation, and so it was seen as a way of accruing spiritual merit and getting closer to Buddhahood. So, and cremation also kind of exemplifies the Buddhist belief of impermanence like ashes to ashes dust right, to dust, right, right yeah. kind of thing in their tradition when a person dies they are given a buddhist name like another name from the priest after their death and this name prevents them from entering the mortal world if their worldly name like their name they had as a living person is uttered so traditionally the old-fashioned kanji are used for the buddhist name uh-huh. so that that buddhist name isn't used in everyday conversations because you don't want to invite them back. And so what they do is they put your Buddhist name that they give you after you die on these pe- like these wooden grave markers. And they're put behind the grave. So there's like the stone grave. Mm-hmm. And I put a picture of this so you'll see it. And then there's these wooden grave markers. And they're called Itatoba. And this is usually, occasionally the name of a Buddha or Sanskrit character are written on those grave markers. You, when you're talking about them, like let's say that like my uncle Bob yeah. passed away. Right. I wouldn't call him Bob anymore when I talk about him. Or wait, is it the other way around? No, you can. You okay. can still talk about him. But if you keep talking about him, you're not like pulling them back because they've been given another name, name in the afterlife. So Bob could then be like Stan in the afterlife. <laughs> right. But, uh, but and the wooden marker purposes. in some old Sanskrit or... Would say that. Would say that. Yeah. And But if you've already died, uh huh, how do you know what your name is well because they feel like there's a very thin veil between life and oh, death. so you would like know your new name got because it. you were given it and then you can move on it's part of the rituals i don't know why but all of a sudden it makes me think that there's some kind of japanese base to the never-ending story because he's got to name the princess oh right a new name before she dies uh-huh yeah i'm just saying just saying. So well, someone stole some Japanese lore right there. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, this like is, religious. Yeah. I mean, Buddhist, this so. is stuff I never, I never knew. So yeah. the, there's like a stone monument mm-hmm. and there's a place for flowers and there's incense sticks and water. And the individual names of the people who died are engraved on the side of the tombstone. Mm-hmm. And there's also can be living family members names, but they're usually colored in red to these are the ones that are still alive. They say that the space for the water that's reserved for water is meant to prevent the disease from getting thirsty. But it can also be filled with sake if the ancestors were into it. There you go. I'd be like, I'd be into that. I do know too that like if you have a bowl of rice, Uh you're not supposed to put your chopsticks or your hashi into your bowl of rice straight up and down because it looks like funeral incense. I confirmed that with my Japanese friend. Yeah, that's like a thing. Yeah, I was like, we're not supposed to do this. She's like, no, 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 don't ever do that. All I know is one thing when I was in Japan, with, we went to restaurants and ordered just so much food because there was like a small group of us mm-hmm. and we could not leave until all the food was gone. That's a thing. It would insult the cook. Yeah. If you did not finish all the food. And we were there for like five hours. I was like, I'm so full. I can't. I just can't. Our roommate Momo, she's like family to us because we lived with her for years. I like met her family and all of this stuff. And she, we would have like family dinners together, which were always amazing. She's also oh, a cook. And her dad owns a bunch food. of restaurants. It was oh my God. so freaking so good. So lucky. But she explained that like you take as much rice as you're going to eat because if you don't eat every last grain of rice you are being disrespectful to the farmer who grew the rice. Wow. And yeah. I was like, that's in- that's, that's an intense hardcore. level of guilt. <laughs> like, I was like, wow, this is some Irish Catholic 
this is like business right here right. like what that's hardcore <laughs> that was hardcore but it was that, like you have to my kids respect yeah let me get getting back to the tombstones <laughs> oh, yes sorry. i know hey it's spooky month come on spooky month so the traditional shape of the tombstone is a pagoda made of five stone blocks called gorinto each block represents the five elements of buddhist philosophy like earth water fire air and space so each character is engraved on the on the different blocks and this pagoda shape is typically the style of older cemeteries while more modern ones they look more like a column between the third and seventh centuries very important people were buried in massive burial sites called a kofun k-o-f-u-n kofun yeah also known as barrows and they were either round or square tombs and only a few meters wide all the way up to like giant size massive burials that resembled a keyhole oh like shape. you're going to another place Cut, or, yeah like so, through the door literally mm-hmm. so one of the largest tombs in the world is in osaka this tomb includes a moat and spans 470,000 square meters it was built in 399 and it was built in honor of emperor nintoku it was constructed in the shape of yeah a keyhole visible from the sea that's insane. There's another one called the Okunoan Cemetery. That is actually the largest Japanese cemetery, and that has 200,000 graves of Buddhist monks uh, located in the Kansai region of Mount Koya. And according to the legend, no dead people rest in Koyasan, only souls waiting to continue their journey into the spirit world. Yeah, it's a serious business. So back to the scary yuri i was hoping to distract you i just wanted to talk about all the rituals and things that need to happen because it's a lot right they need to be cremated they need to have like the that, certain kind of name and gravestone the and the yeah and the incense and the flowers and everything kind of needs to happen they've given that buddhist name by the priest and so there's all these rituals and i probably didn't hit them all but a lot of things needs to happen did you say does it have to happen with like in a certain time period of them dying i do think there's a time frame attached to it because Mm -hmm. i have heard from friends that when their loved one passed away Mm -hmm. they needed to stay for a certain amount of days to see them into the next life i guess the afterlife and it's really important to be there for them during that time Mm -hmm. you don't leave them alone and i want to say it's a long time like almost 40 days like 35 to 40 days if the person who passed had a horrific death, they had unresolved issues, or they did not have a good ceremony and all the rituals weren't done, they could be stuck between life and death. And then a Yuri could be formed. And these are like unhappy souls and they won't rest until they solve all their earthly problems. So the word Yuri comes from the kanji Yu, which is dark, and Ri, which is soul. A Yuri often has a human shape without feet, like I said, and they're like floating in the air. They usually have like, yeah, the long black hair, the kimono from their funeral rituals. They can also have some deformity since they take the appearance they had right before they died, which is what you think of when you think of like scary ghosts, right? Oh, for sure. That are like coming back because they were murdered or something. So there's different kinds of Yuri and it's usually classified by the manner in which they died or the reason for coming back to earth. There's the Onryo and they are vengeful ghosts who come back from purgatory for a wrong done to them during their lifetime. 
There's the Ubume, which is a mother ghost who died in childbirth or died leaving young children behind. And this Yuri returns to care for her children, often bringing them sweets. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, I can deal with that one. There's a Goryo, and they're also a vengeful ghost. Most of the aristocratic class, especially those who were martyred. So they're like fancy ghosts. They're like fancy angry ghosts. There's Puna Yuri. These are ghosts who died at sea. They're also sometimes depicted as scaly fish-like humanoids. Some have a form similar to that of like mermaid or merman. There's a Zashiki Warashi. These are ghosts of children. They're often mischievous rather than dangerous. Um, there's also floating spirits. These spirits do not seek to fulfill an exact purpose and wanders around aimlessly. In ancient times, the disease of an emperor of Japan was thought to arise as a result of these spirits floating in the air. Okay. They just float around and give you diseases. And then there's earthbound spirits. Those are similar to the floating spirits, which are also called the furure. These spirits do not seek to fulfill an exact purpose either, but these are actually bound to a specific place. Like a forest or like a house, maybe? Like a ghost in a house because something horrible happened there. A famous example of this might include the story of Okiku and also the well at Himeji Castle and the hauntings in the film Juwan or the Grudge. Oh god. The one thing you watched. So Juwan or the movie The Grudge. The Grudge is actually based off a legend. The guy who wrote it was like it just scared him the whole story. Sure. But it wasn't really based on anything completely true. But it is based on a legend of Kayako and that is real. She was supposedly a ne- neglected child growing up and her situation got no better when she was older. So she had a rough childhood. She got older. She married this guy who ended up brutally murdering her and left her body in an attic. And then he drowned their son and in the movie killed their cat as well. This is going to be such a fun episode to edit. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to be so creeped out. I vaguely remember the movie because it's been so long. All I know is like a lot of hair coming out of the ceiling, but I couldn't remember the premise of like why the ghost was mad. I think he had an affair and killed her, the son, and their cat. I remember the son and the stair walking and yeah the attic thing but he did say that things that scared him when he was younger were people that were painted white like really freaked him out that's why he did that in the movie because it just was super scary for him experts in this japanese folklore they all agree that the yuri's desire tethers it to the land of the living and that sounds like most ghosts stories like Mm -hmm. there's something holding them back either they don't know they're dead which to me is pretty simple like that wouldn't be scary or they have some sort of revenge and those are the scary ones or they're just super sad about something you know like you uh, need to point them in the right direction so they can move on to the afterlife exactly so at the university of colorado they said the key part of that desire is that it must be what you feel with your last breath when you die what did you regret did you wish to know love did you feel rage at the person killing you did you forget to feed your cat you just wandering around being like, I didn't feed my cat. Just really bummed out about it and worried. Be like, did I turn the stove off? If you were haunting a house. Yeah. And, and people I've, are just trying to cook. And I've heard of hauntings like that where their cabinets just make noises or things are going. And if you have, you know, I know you don't believe this, but yeah, yeah. like a medium will come in and be like, oh, that's just an old the lady that used to live here. Just going about her business in the kitchen. Just making pies and stuff. Yeah. And somebody needs to remind her like, you need to move on. Right, right. And she's like, but I can't find my husband. Right. Oh, your husband's waiting for you. It's like, you know. Okay, cool. I'm going to go. Yeah. yeah. And they usually can move on if people believe that. Sure, right? sure, 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 sure. So it's definitely like those kind of ghosts don't seem so bad. But these vengeful spirits and the folklore, the Onroyo is the most powerful creature on the planet. In ancient times, natural disasters were explained 
as an Anrio's wrath. So they believed that they could bring fire, flood, earthquakes, um, and that their powers were limitless. Stories are told of lightning striking in the middle of the Imperial Palace. Another story tells of a young girl who was jilted by her lover and died, and then burned down all of Tokyo in her rage. They can go anywhere, do anything. So like anything bad that happens, they're like, who pissed off that ghost? Who did it? No lie. Those seem like maybe the coolest ghosts a little bit, you know, because you can go anywhere. And do anything. Like you're not just like stuck you're in like one a, house. Like, you're like a super, like superhero. Yeah. But, but kind of a villain. in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A superhero in a bad way. And super scary. If you're trying to get a Yuri to like stop haunting you, they just need closure. So like if they're lonely, hang out with them for a little while. If they're mad, then you should just start saying your goodbyes. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that's so scary. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, because like he said there's gonna... nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Are they saying that mad Yuri will come and kill you? Basically, you're you're gonna die. They can kill you. They can kill you. Is it like the stress of dealing with the ghost that kills you? Like, you die from a heart attack, or do they like physically attack you? That's the kind of creepy stuff that I can't handle. You're fine. Don't worry. But they say the good news is once they hit their target, like once they murder you. Mm-hmm. then they'll go away for good. It's that debt that when you die, no, nobody else has to pay it. No, like your student no. loans. <laughs> <laughs> so here's some good news. There are other options besides maybe being murdered by one. Perfect. You can go to a, a Buddhist priest or Shinto and have them perform rituals. Mm-hmm. And they can try to get rid of the angry spirit by... Doing something to make it move on and be happy. In the earlier medieval periods, the court would pacify Anrio by giving them posthumous promotions. Like, we declare you king of the world. (laughs) (laughs) There was like an emperor that did that in the 12th century because maybe they felt like they were being haunted. Yeah. The story goes, Emperor Sutoku, he died very unhappy at the imperial court Mm -hmm. for banishing him and he then transformed into a scary ghost an onryo his onryo brought vengeance upon the capital and that's this was in kyoto and he brought plagues and disasters for years until he was enshrined as a kami or deity Oh, so they were like, all right, we're going to appease you by making you a god. But they say it doesn't always work. It's not always the solution. But I mean, how would they know? Plagues and disasters happen to people all the time. But they're blaming, you know, it's just what people believed, right? I think people needed to have like something that they could do to try and get rid of bad stuff. Got you. There's some other famous hauntings by Yuri. And this one is really interesting. It's the Well of Himeji Castle. It's haunted by the ghost Okiku. And according to the legend, Okiku was a maid at a mansion for a Japanese samurai named Tessin Aoyama. He thought she was really beautiful and he kept trying to seduce Mm. her, but she was like, no, no, no. And he had a wife and everything even. And so he used this trick. He got all these, they had, I guess, all these valuable Dutch plates. Mm -hmm. There was 10 and he took one and he hid it. And he threatened her. He's like, I'm going to tell everybody that you stole this plate unless you agree to come and like sleep with me, become my mistress. And they say in her desperation to escape the situation, she threw herself in a well and she drowned. Does this sound familiar? Scary ghost long hair in a well. Let me just say. Don't play that VHS tape. How- <laughs> Don't do it. How many of these vengeful spirits are created by toxic masculinity? This poor girl, her ghost comes out every night. So she's counting from one to nine. She's counting dishes. Oh. She's counting the plates. And then she just starts howling and sobbing. 
her ghost does. By the end of the story, the guy who tried to seduce her, he goes insane because he sees it every night, these apparitions, and he loses his mind and he goes crazy. Well, he shouldn't have uh, forced himself on her. And there's different variations of this. Like his wife didn't like her. And so the wife Mm. broke a plate or threw it in the well. And then, or, you know, and then they thought she broke it. And so they murdered her and threw her in the well. Like there's, however it happens. Yeah. There's plates. Guy was trying to seduce her. Mm -hmm. What didn't go well. And she ends up dead in the well. And then they made a movie. And then they made a movie about a creepy girl crawling out of a well and crawling through your TV. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Also a frightening movie. Yeah, that one. Uh, The Ring. Ring The Ring. Megan, I have a special treat. Oh, God. And this special treat is going to happen right now. Can we pause for just a moment? Yes. I need to get something. What is that, Jen? I just want to show you. My Time Life Books collection from 1984. What is happening? Called The Enchanted World. That's creepy. This particular series or this particular one is called Ghosts. When I was a child, we would occasionally get these Time Life books sets. Did you ever get them mailed to your house when you were a kid? My parents were too cheap to get that. Probably because I was watching TV all day. So I would call the 800 number and be like, send them over. I want those. And (laughs) so they would send it. Because then you would get it and then send a check in the mail or something. Sure, sure. And so this is a set of 21 books, but they sent three. And then my mom couldn't afford anymore. So I only have three since I was like 10. That's amazing. My, I talked to my mom today. I was like, hey, mom, what's the story with these? Like, how did she's like, well, I just couldn't afford them. But I think you really wanted those. So I got those for you. That's amazing. I'm like, these are really scary, mom. And I can't believe you let me read these. I'm looking at the cover just from here. Okay, no lie. I thought you were going to pull out a Ouija board. <laughs> I was going to gonna just get up and leave i was gonna be like okay i gotta go the episode is over (laughs) our podcast is over that art is creepy as these are so scary i'm telling you you can buy the whole set on amazon Uh uh-huh and someday when i can afford it it's happening i want all 21 of these they are so freaking cool tell me i didn't just stare at these books constantly as a kid i was like oh my god and now we know where it started it started here and then it moved into stephen king books jen's origin story starts with time life there was another one that was it was like a series of westerns Oh, I do love Westerns. And they were all these, like, we had three of those. I don't know where they are. My mom thinks they're in a box somewhere in storage. But Mm -hmm. it was like the commercial was like, and good old Wild Bill just killed a guy just for snoring too loud. (laughs) Remember that? And then it was like, it would talk about all the Westerns. I probably called. 1-800 with my like push button phone with the long cord the AT&T so I could stretch it all the way to where yeah. the TV was and so anyway there's a story in here which is this story oh my god it's a little bedtime story story hour it's called the wife's revenge Perfect. and I'm going to show you the pictures as we go in Japan <laughs> there once was a man who by his vicious actions made his wife into a ghost the man's name was lemon <laughs> that was his name wow. like literally it's not even like a capital L it's just like lemon time life time my life. life did not research that very well. <laughs> I'm like, that's a is that a typical Japanese name? I don't know. I've never heard Maybe that. Maybe it's limon. Oh no. <laughs> there's no accent over the e. It just lemon. His wife. His wife's name was Olwa. It's like O apostrophe L W A. So it says we don't know time life. Okay, hear me out. Maybe his name is Aimon. Spelled L E M O N. What if it's an I? <laughs> Okay, we had to we had to pause for a minute. Listen, time life 
This is not my fault. I agree. I agree. I looked. I looked at the lettering. It looks like <laughs> it a little. It looks like L. a lowercase L. It does because it has a little light. And it doesn't have the like lines on the top and bottom for no. the I, so you know it's an uppercase I. So yeah. apparently, his name's not. <laughs> Uh, although dude deserves to be called lemon okay for what he did <sighs> apparently his name is taima aiman 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 yeah. although it never said the other name it just said lemon. right right just yeah it just said lemon but we or aiman yeah that is amazing <laughs> <laughs> okay the one thing I'll say for those photos is that they are creepy. They're creepy photos. Mm-hmm. It's like if you look at him for too long. Okay, he's so not a sour fruit. He's not a sour fruit. He's a sour man. Are you ready? I'm ready. In Japan, there once lived a man by his vicious actions made his wife into a ghost. The man's name was not Lemon. It was Iamon. His wife's was Oiwa, even though it looks like Olwa. <laughs> His motive was that he desired another woman. Oiwa had barely risen from childbed and was given poison, which caused her hair to fall out in bloody handfuls, her eyes to start from their sockets, and her pretty mouth to blacken. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. Let me just interject here real quick that when you give birth to a child, though, Mm -hmm. lots of weird stuff happens to your body. But not that. I mean, your hair does fall out, but not in bloody clumps. This is true. It looks like in the pictures, like her face is melting. Maybe she was just really tired. I probably look similar to that (laughs) after childbirth. I mean, I felt it. Okay. All through the ordeal, Iamon sneered. Then he thrust her from him. He's like, you're so gross. Get away. Which is, I mean, yeah, she was already feeling really shitty about herself. And then this guy, in despair, she killed herself and her infant. So Mm. sad. Iamon felt no remorse. Now he was free to do as he wished. What a jackass. Or so he thought. Dun, dun, dun. He soon found that his deed had a terrifying price. With a ghoul's fury, Oiwa appeared to him everywhere. If he sought peace in a tea house, the lanterns, gaily painted in human likeness, assumed the staring eyes of her and mouth curses at him. If he walked in a garden, he would find her there, wailing over... Hold on, I have to turn the page. Hold on, kids. Turning the page. Her infant son, her bitter accusation ceaselessly sounding in his ears defiant Eamon married his paramour paramour yeah. paramour yeah. such a weird time life what the hell i'm just gonna throw just side chick just right okay how it is side chick yeah. lemon married his side chick sorry Eamon married his side chick thinking that the ghost might realize the futility of further haunting him but when he lifted his lover's bridal veil after the wedding the face looking back at him was eowas oh howling he drew his sword and beheaded the specter and then eomon discovered eowas final vengeance he had murdered his bride, not the ghost. That's a great story. It is. It's amazing. So I have another story. This one is from Time Life Books. And this one is entitled, well, it's also the Enchanted series. It's called Night Creatures. This was another favorite of mine. Is that a, What is that in the corner of the filigree stuff that you have there on the front page there? Is that, is that a dragon? It's a dragon. That's beautiful. These are the coolest, I'm telling you. That's a nice hardback quality book right there. The illustrations are really good. Yeah. So this is the story of the Fox Maiden. And I'm going to show you. So I'm turning the book. Oh, the Fox Maiden. I think I know this story. Do you know this story? Okay, let's see if I can, if the L's are better. <laughs> Silky furred, bright eyed, wily, and sweetly mocking, 
the little kitsune. Kitsune. Or, thank you. Is yeah, that it's you a fox it? spirit. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Good. Yeah, kitsune. Okay. I knew you would know some of this. <laughs> so the little kitsune or foxes of Japan were both loved and feared by mortals. Some kitsune served the harvest god and these were honored. At the god's shady roadside shrines and in his mighty temple compound stood hosts of pretty foxes carved in stone and adorned with jeweled eyes. But most kitsune were evil beasts that could assume the shape of a beautiful woman and rob mortal men of, of vigor and goodness. Among such malevolent kitsune, the most powerful and enduring was Tamamo no Mei. In her human guise, she was a courtesan, so exquisite and skilled that she was called the Jewel Maiden. Her victims were kings and emperors. Tamamo's origins were obscure. It was thought that thousands of years before she arrived in Japan, she had been an Indian king's consort, appearing at times as a woman and at times as a white fox with nine tails. As either she was heartless, her chief pleasure was the slaughter of innocents. Eventually, she was expelled from India. Linjid said that the fox woman next appeared in China in the harem of the Shang tyrant Chao Sin. To satisfy her extravagant taste, the besotted emperor created vast pleasure gardens, <laughs> whose lakes were filled with wine and whose trees were hung with baskets of delicacies. I'm like, lakes? Rivers with wine? What? What's Whole lakes were filled with wine. I, That's a lot of wine. Knowing that she liked humiliation, he commanded the ladies of his court to dance nude among the flowers of the gardens for her amusement. <laughs> and they refused. <laughs> so Chu Sin devised a better entertainment. He forced the women into pits filled with vipers and bees. Like if you had the option. He's like, <laughs> he's like Wait, listen. Wait, no. Never mind. Take it off my clothes. I'll do it. I'll I'm do naked. It. I will dancing. dance naked. So dancing. Before so I go naked. hang out with these bees. So no, the picture you. in the book is all these ladies with getting attacked by vipers and bees. As Tamamo remarked in her soft voice, the ladies danced quite briskly then because they were being attacked. Well, yeah. By bees and vipers. They died in agony. The dissipation of the Chinese court became so constant and so egregious that the people at last revolted against the scandal. Tamamo was executed and her body burned, but from the ashes sprang a snowy fox. Swift as the wind, it made for Japan. In the court of the rising sun, Tamamo took woman's form again and seduced Toba, emperor of Japan. He steadily weakened in her company. Finally, during a night of storms, he fell into a swoon, calling her name. At that, the nimbus of triumphant light played around Tamamo's head. The emperor's counselors saw it and recognized what she must be. They exposed Tamamo's nature by holding a mirror before her face. The glass reflected not the countenance of a woman, but the white furred muzzle of a fox. I've watched a lot of stuff, a lot of anime. I recently watched, oh my god, I cannot remember what it's from, but there's a kitsune in it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's part of a series. Mm -hmm. So the kitsune would seduce men, and then she would use her nine tails. The one that I saw, she would use her nine tails and kind of like stuff them in all the orifices, <gasps> like eyes, nose, mouth, Other all, stuff, the things, all the um, things, and like explode them. Oh my God. It was intense. That is intense. And I was like, whoa, that's the craziest version of the Kitsune. I feel like it might go into that. There's another page, but it's yeah. good enough. Anyway, so there's Okiku, which was the other story. Then there's Oiwa, and then there was another one, Atsuya. It seems like they're similar, but the Otsuya was, I think, the mom with the child. But I can't see where it's different from this story because she was she was angry that the husband did that to her, deformed her, and then she mm -hmm. killed herself, but she also killed her baby. So she mm -hmm. had the mom 
baby mom baby thing baby oh thing. the one where she'll like take care of babies after yeah the one yeah you're talking about? like okay. it's like in when he sees her she's holding the baby and all that right. stuff between those three the san o yuri that's like the three great yuri in their culture and their stories have been passed down and retold throughout you know centuries and their characteristics along with the circumstances and fates have formed a large part of japanese art and society Another spooky place, and this is actually what I was gonna talk about. I kind of didn't want to go too far down this road. I was gonna talk about haunted forests, and I was thinking to talk about Aokigahara, I think, which is the suicide forest. It's also called the Blue Tree Meadow, and also known as Sea of Trees, or Jukai, and it's located on the northwestern flank of Mount Fuji on the island of Honshu in Japan. It's 30 square meters or 12 square miles. Uh, it's hardened lava laid down by the last major eruption of Mount Fuji in 864 CE. That's a long time ago. And there's some caves that fill with ice in the winter. It's also a popular destination for tourists and school trips. It looks beautiful when you look at the pictures, but it's got a very dark history. They say that it's a place for, of the Yuri. Um, it's also, since the 60s, has become associated with suicide, has gained the reputation of one of the world's most used suicide sites next to Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, I didn't know that about the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, I didn't either. And because of this, when you go in, there's signs that urge people to think of their families or contact Suicide Prevention Association. I read kind of a lot about it. It's sad and I, I don't want to make light of, you know, I just right. didn't really want to talk about it too much. But sorry, it's different than like lore. There's a really high suicide rate in Japan. And I guess what people have said is they go there so when they die, they're not alone because they think there's so many other spirits there. So I'm not going to talk about that anymore. All I'll say about it is there's a place you can look it up. It's called Tell Suicide Prevention and it's a Japanese site. Mm -hmm. And annually, they say more than 21,000 people in Japan lose their lives to suicide. And every day, that is 57 people and 1,500 attempts. And this place at Tell, they believe that they can achieve zero suicides and they help people and you can go to their suicide prevention it's like uh, telljp.com and there's a lot of information on there and also there's um, the national suicide prevention lifeline at 800-273-8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org just remember life is full of sometimes very great things and very terrible things things always get better mm -hmm. just call somebody that's very true another more recent example of ghosts in japan and this is where i wanted to take this story i wanted to give the folklore and kind of all that but it's all just it is folklore the grudge and i'm sure there's a lot of people that believe it but i would say that most people in japan are kind of like yeah those are just stories moving on you know right, they don't right. they don't really believe it so much they do believe in that there's a thin veil like i said earlier between the living and the dead Mm -hmm. And they really honor their ancestors and they do all these rituals. I think they have that kind of outlook at it, but they don't necessarily, I think, believe so much in the vengeful spirits bringing plagues. And so I wanted to talk about the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. Because of that, a lot of people passed away quickly and in a very scary way. And after 
that followed for even till now, 10 years after, they're still talking about the ghosts from the that earthquake and tsunami. So there were a lot of stories after that. Sad, really. Mm-hmm. Not scary, but sad. And I want to talk about it because I actually watched it on Unsolved Mysteries last year. I think I also saw that episode. And it was just so touching. Like, I was so sad after I watched that. I, I wanted to look into it a little bit more. I'd actually kind of forgotten about it. And my mom reminded me of it the other day. And I thought... Uh, it might be an interesting one to talk about. On March 11th, 2011 at 2.46 p.m., there was a 9.0 to 9.1 magnitude undersea megathrust earthquake at the epicenter of the Pacific Ocean about 45 miles or 72 kilometers east of Oshika Peninsula in the Tohoku region. It lasted approximately six minutes and then caused a tsunami. It is sometimes called the Great Earthquake Disaster of East Japan. It was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan and the fourth most powerful earthquake in the world since modern record-keeping began in 1900. The earthquake triggered powerful tsunami waves that reached heights of 40.5 meters or 133 feet in Miyako in Tohoku's Iwate Prefecture. In the Sendai area, it traveled up to 435 miles per hour. Wow. Wow is right. It went up to 6 miles or 10 kilometers inland, you know, all the way up, but further up in in some of the river areas. Residents of Sendai had only eight to 10 minutes of warning and more than 100 evacuation sites were already washed away. Right after that, it was followed by this snowfall and it came like right at the same time as the tsunami and there were freezing temperatures that definitely held up rescue. And one of the areas that was majorly impact was it, Ishinomaki. It was the city with the most deaths. It was 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius when the tsunami hit. The official numbers that were released in 2021 reported 19,747 deaths, 6,242 people injured, and 2,556 people were never found. A report from 2015 indicated that 228,863 people were still living away from their home in either temporary housing or were permanently just had relocated. It was the greatest single loss of life in Japan since the atomic bombing of Nagasaki. And we all kind of knew about this. I, I think both of us were in Hawaii at the time. That's like a week after I arrived in Honolulu, we were staying with you and we had tsunami warning sirens going off and it didn't actually do anything. I think there was like bigger waves, Yeah, but it wasn't, it didn't do any kind of damage. Right, right, right. One of the major problems for anybody who wasn't familiar with this was that the tsunami caused the Fukushima mm-hmm. Daiichi nuclear disaster, which there was a meltdown of three of the, re- the reactors and the discharge mm-hmm. of radioactive water in Fukushima. The evacuation zones in that area where there were hundreds of thousands of residents. A lot of the electrical generators ran out of fuel and the loss of electrical power halted cooling systems, causing heat to build up. The heat buildup caused the generation of hydrogen gas. And without ventilation, the gas accumulated within the reactor containment structures and eventually exploded. So residents within six mile radius of the plant, power mm-hmm. plant, were evacuated. Early estimates said that insured losses from the earthquake alone was equal to about 30 
$5 billion. The Bank of Japan offered 15 trillion yen or $183 billion to the banking system on March 14th in an effort to try to keep their market stable. Mm -hmm. The World Bank estimated the economic loss was $235 billion, making it the costliest natural disaster in history. And according to a 2020 study, the earthquake and its aftermath resulted in a 0.47 percentage point decline in the Japan's GDP growth mm-hmm. in the year following the disaster. So it was it was real bad for Japan in many ways. That's right. like loss of life, loss of infrastructure. Yeah. The aftermath was detailed in a book called Ghosts of the Tsunami, Death and Life in Japan's Disaster Zone by Richard Lloyd Perry on October 24th, 2017. And then, of course, I saw it in the October 2020 Netflix release of the new version of the Unsolved Mysteries episode called Tsunami Spirits. People living in areas of Japan were affected by the 2011 tsunami and have reported eerie encounters with spirits. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Lloyd Perry. I don't he goes by Richard. It looks like he just goes by Lloyd Perry. There's been a lot. There was a lot of articles of him describing and documenting his experience because he was actually living in Japan at the time. In 2011, Lloyd Perry had been living in Japan for 16 years already. He was a journalist with the Times. I think it was the London Times. He had been through, in that period of time, 17,000 earthquakes. Wait, what? Since he, yeah, since the mid-90s. 17,000. I mean, most of them are like little. Sure. Is that possible? They're used to it. So they don't even think anything about it. That morning, he was at a clinic because his wife was pregnant and they were getting some ultrasound done. And it was all just kind of like normal. And a couple hours later, he was back at his office, which is on the 10th floor. He was just checking his emails, reading the newspaper, doing, you know, normal everyday things. He's like, I don't remember exactly what I was doing when the fourth most powerful earthquake in the history of seismology struck. So he just knows that Japan sits on top of two triple junctions of tectonic plates, Mm -hmm. making it particularly vulnerable to earthquakes. But this one was exceptional. It knocked the planet 10 inches off its axis and moved Japan four feet closer to the United States. I did not realize that. First thing, of course, he checks his family and make sure they're all okay. And then he has yeah. to go to work. He's a journalist. This is like what he's right. there for, he has right? <laughs> this is his whole thing. So he says he filed reports on the situation in the Capitol. Before he went out for the next morning, he was like, I'm going to go there. He has to go to the Tohoku region mm-hmm. and he has to go see what's going on. He visited hospitals and he said the wards were at night. They were lit by candle because they had no power. He watched burning industrial oil tanks. And if you look at the footage, yeah, when the water is still moving, there's just things on fire moving just those burning oil tanks sent columns of flames high into the air he said he passed cows dying of thirst in the fields and not far from the nuclear plant there were cleanup crews working like crazy to try to prevent another chernobyl he said the worst damage was caused by the tsunami that followed the earth at that point it had been 16 years he said that a natural disaster of this scale it's too much to hold in the mind with clarity even for those who survived it he said there was an elderly witness called Sadayoshi Kumagai. She had told Lloyd that the water turned into a black mountain and others described their tragedy as something like formless, an immense and overwhelming monster that blocked out the sun because the water was just black with 
Everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah. One of the main points of his book, he talked about the Okawa Primary School. It was two and a half miles from the coast. And up until that point, no tsunami had ever made it that far inland. But this one just completely swallowed it. And he said, nowhere are precautions against natural disaster more robust than in the Japanese state schools. I mean, right. they have a plan. He said, but in this case, 75 children had died in the care of their teachers. Oh. So only 34 of the 108 students survived, mainly because they were picked up by their parents just in time. Like their parents just raced over there. They're like, get in. And then they left. And another article, what I read happened is that, so right behind the school is like a hill and mm-hmm. they were supposed to go up this hill. And one of the teachers was like, we need to go up here. And everybody else argued. They're like, no, everybody get in this bus or everybody run and we're going to cross this bridge and go around and go up. I don't know if they thought there was more time or somebody said maybe they didn't realize realize it. And so that teacher grabbed one of the kids and like, let's go. And they ran up the hill and they survived. Oh, my God. The problem is, is all the other teachers and students that went across that bridge, the wave just, it just washed Washed over them. I read also that one of the teachers that did survive actually committed suicide later because they just couldn't live with the pain of what happened. Yeah, survivor's guilt. Yep. I'm just going to say real quick, I did look it up. Uh, 17,000 is totally possible because according to, this is blowing my mind. I just want you to know. According to the Meteorological Agency of Japan, JMA, approximately 2,000 earthquakes strike in Japan every year. So I think that's the thing is that people there are so used to it. It's hard to know when you take it. Seriously. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they always take it seriously, Mm -hmm. but I think this is just beyond. Sometimes you just can't prepare for something like this. Here's another story he talks about. A mother, Sayomi, went to collect the body of her daughter, Chisato, at the makeshift mortuary in one of the high school gyms. The next day after the tsunami, everything, they're just trying to like find people and put them somewhere. And I guess she was just covered in mud and she said these are her words i rubbed the mud from her cheeks and wiped it out of her mouth it was in her nose too and it was in her ears but we only had small towels i wiped and wiped and soon the towels were black i had nothing else so i used my clothes to wipe the mud off her eyes were half open and that was the way she used to sleep but there was mud in her eyes and there were no towels and no water so i licked shisato's eyes with my tongue to wash the muck out one of the mothers who actually had taught herself how to operate a digger because she wanted to find her daughter so bad oh my god and by the time they did find her one of the fishermen found her she was like that's not my daughter i know it's her but that's not because it was pretty horrific and she's like i don't regret seeing her but the hope i had that i would recognize her was not fulfilled after this happened and all of these insane loss and so much grief that these people went through and they talk a lot about how there's like this distinctive japanese way of dealing with things gaman is a word that loosely means endurance and it's an admirable trait in the wake of disaster. They say it binds people together and allows them to focus on a common good before seeing their own needs. It's like, we're not going to focus on ourselves. We need to focus on everybody as a whole. And they just hold their chin up. They hold it in and they just move forward and try to do everything they can and rebuild. Later, they say some survivors started seeing ghosts or they claim to have seen ghosts. Mm-hmm. There was a Buddhist priest called Kaneta, and he's in the, if you watch the Unsolved Mysteries, yeah, he's the one that I'm referring to, and he's just 
Really awesome. Apparently over this time, he performed 200 funeral services in the month after the disaster, which isn't very much considering how many. I'm sure there were just so many going on. And during this time, he was also asked to request or he was requested to perform exorcisms from a lot of people. Hauntings were reported at home, at work, in offices, public places, on beaches, everywhere. And so religious people all were kind of like going back and forth on whether they thought these were really spirits or what was going on. Lloyd Perry talks about death and he says that shrines to ancestors can be found in almost every Japanese home and death is in some ways considered less absolute than it is in the West. It's not uncommon for family members to talk to shrines as if they were people. And sometimes the parents of the lost children would ask Lloyd to meet their dead children and lead them to this you know, altar, like a wooden cabinet decorated with photographs and the kids' favorite toys or drawings. He says that life has no neat ending in Japanese tradition, so the widespread acceptance of ghosts among the Japanese is not as surprising as it may initially seem, and that the country's Buddhist belief, for example, that departed spirits remain in the home for the first 49 days. That's it. It's 49 days. So they're talking about these ghostly encounters that they might have been expressions of the grief that was happening. Just such insane grief from everybody. And and they say in a culture that considers even crying over a dead loved one to be unseemly or selfish. Ultimately, Lloyd sees it as a part of a cult of quietism, choking the Japanese, making them put up with unacceptable conditions in obedient silence. I see that. So he goes through the school mm-hmm. incident where all those kids died. And they're actually the parents filed a lawsuit against the school, which is really not normal in Japanese culture to litigate on those types of things, because yeah. some people saw it as, well, we all lost something. Right. So how are you going to do this and make money from this big loss that we all had? People tried to make the parents feel bad, but actually they won because really the school screwed up really bad. They didn't follow their plan. They -hmm. didn't listen. And it was a tragic ending for a lot of these families. And so they got some compensation. But in the end, they're kind of like, well, it doesn't bring our kids back. Mm-hmm. I did read a different article about one of the parents who a mother who was part of the the lawsuit. And she was like, yeah, people were harassing her about it and yelling at her. Why would you file this lawsuit when you know, you think you're the only one that got hurt in this? I was like, jeez. I just wanted to read this part. But so many layers of profound grief. He sees Mm -hmm. that everyone's grief is different and it differs in small and subtle ways according to circumstances of loss. But it's also colored by factors as to how quickly the bodies of the family members were recovered and buried. So in this case, a lot of the people, and this is something they talk about in the Unsolved Mysteries, is that people are supposed to be cremated and then they follow all those, the rituals. Right. But because there was no power, they couldn't cremate anybody so what they Mm. did was they just lined them up in this mass burial to be dug up at a later time to be cremated cremated right so it was just so messed up so i think because of that they felt like all of these spirits were just lost and they didn't know what happened nothing was the way it was supposed to be to help them move into the afterlife in another article i read they said so post-disaster tohoku came to be overpopulated with ghosts. Multiple reports of sightings. This, some believe, was inevitable as the tsunami took the lives of so many people unprepared to relinquish their worldly attachments. So they say ghost stories were really common, like a dead woman would visit her old friends in their temporary housing and sit down for a cup of tea, leaving dampness on the cushion she was imagined to have been sitting on. A taxi driver would pick up a man asking to be taken to an address that no longer existed, only to find halfway through the journey that a passenger 
and the rear seat was invisible. So in 2016, there was this graduate student of sociology named Yuka Kudo. They traveled to one of the cities that was most hit, and this is the one they talk about in that episode as well, Ishinomaki. They wanted to study this epidemic of ghosts. Right. Which is crazy. It's like overpopulated or an epidemic of ghosts. It just sounds too too creepy. So she wanted to go study this epidemic and she focused specifically on the town's cab drivers because that's where most of the stories came from. Mm -hmm. And I did include a picture that's kind of famous. I don't know if you ever saw it because I don't think they showed it in the episode, but I found it later. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually a video. So you can see it. So what you see is you see kind of taxis coming and going. You see people getting in and out. Mm -hmm. And then you see a guy go up and he's waiting for the taxi. The taxi comes. He gets in and you see this black shadow follow him into the taxi. It is super creepy. So the first cabbie told Kudo of an encounter he had had in the summer of 2011. It had only been a few months since the tsunami and there were barely any customers. He was naturally shocked to suddenly spot a young woman hailing him down in a particularly hard hit area. So she was wearing a heavy winter coat in the middle of summer and also was completely drenched. The driver barely had time to realize that it hadn't rained in days before she climbed into the back seat and asked to be taken to a pretty much abandoned district. That area is almost empty, he said, and he switched on the meter. Are you sure? There was a long silence. Then in a shivering voice, the woman asked, have I died? The terrified driver turned around to face the customer, but found absolutely nothing nor anyone in his car. Another cabbie told Kudo that he picked up a confused looking man in his 20s who kept pointing forward when asked where he needed to go. And finally, simply said Hiyoriyama, which is a mountain peak near the city. After careening up the mountain near Ishinomaki, the driver dropped his customer on a plateau at the summit. But when he turned around to be paid, there was nobody in his car. There's a lot of these. Mm -hmm. Also in Perry's book, he looks into one man in Kurihara said that he he now like despises the rain as he constantly sees the eyes of tsunami victims he knew in the puddles. Mm. And in Taga Joe, one fire station received incessant calls until the firefighters drove to the collars ruins to pray for the dead. So I guess they kept getting calls to go somewhere to a place that's already burned but there's nobody or, there, right? Yeah, and so they went there and maybe they took the priest and they did a bunch of praying and then the calls stopped. They say, despite global polls suggesting that Japan is one of the least religious nations on the planet. Perry's like, no, wrong. I don't believe that. And in his words, he said, I hadn't realized how real and alive the cult of ancestors and the cult of dead is. The other thing I learned is something I should have known anyway, but that grief and trauma express themselves often very indirect. So I guess in a lot of ways, people are like, are there ghosts or are these people just grieving? They're grieving. There was a couple of reported cases of possession. And this is also in that documentary. And it says that neither person were directly affected by the tsunami. And the one they had in that story that actually the girl, you don't see her face. I think she doesn't want to show who she is. Yeah, yeah. But she was not affected by it. And she wasn't in the tsunami or didn't live anywhere near it. But Mm -hmm. after it happened, and it was a little while after she started feeling this immense pain and people like crying for help from inside of her 
she was not herself anymore. And there were a couple of stories about this. And they would go to the priest and the priest would try to help them. Exercise the spirits. The spirits, yeah, and tell them to go on. There was a lot of stories in there. There was one lady they were interviewing that she's like, yeah, I've seen ghosts since I was a kid. And she's like, and then I see them all the time. And it was really sad. You know, she was walking around. She's like, this used to all be houses and now it's nothing. And she said that one time she was driving in these three or four boys like asked her to stop on the road Mm -hmm. and she knew they were dead and she could tell that they were probably victims from the tsunami Mm -hmm. and she's like i'm really sorry to tell you guys but you're dead can you imagine well i cannot but it's creepy but apparently they weren't scary ghosts they're just lost ghosts according to this these stories they're not scary it happened so suddenly they don't know what happened to them or they're trying to get back to their house it's not there anymore the one that they used for an example in the unsolved mysteries was a girl who was holding hands with her brother Mm-hmm. she couldn't get past the fact that she let go of her brother and she saw him get swept away she was looking for her mom to tell her mom how sorry she was they had to help her through that that's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking in okawa they were saying that somebody had set up a a phone that was unconnected but just a phone like it's like a white like a booth. phone like a phone booth yeah and people could go there and they could talk to their dead and try to connect and say what they needed to say or say goodbye or whatever. I remember that part from the story that there is that phone booth. To me, when I think about these things, it is really about the grieving that people are going through. Yes. And being able to at least talk through it, even if it's to no one, Mm -hmm. but maybe in their imagination, it is to that person or they believe that they're talking to that person. So that helps them get through you know, all the different emotions, anger and sadness. And they talk about that after that horrific event and then the devastation. I read in some other articles, but I didn't put here the like the miles of debris. Everything was just wrecked and gone. And it was cold. There was no power. And they had so much to do for so long that they couldn't just to survive day to day they couldn't even grieve properly Mm -hmm. right away even now 10 years later it's still taking people time they still feel the pain the same as they did i was reading another article about this older man he had a son who had um what is it is when people can't leave the house it's like agoraphobia yeah agoraphobia they have a word for it in japanese that i read but I don't have it written down but so his son was like that he wouldn't leave the house for a couple of years so Mm -hmm. he it was actually him and his wife and his two sons one was working out doing his thing so when the tsunami or the earthquake and the tsunami hit his son would not leave the house and so his wife finally the older son convinced her to go up on this roof with him I I don't know where the dad was but he was somewhere on higher ground working or I think he was just about to retire and he had gone to work so he was out of harm's way so when he went back to try to find his wife he wasn't able to find her his older son survived but the last he remembered was seeing her trying to hold on to some debris and floating away and of course the younger son that wouldn't leave the house also also died so he lost his wife and his son and he was saying that it's been 10 years and his older son son had been living with him this whole time mm-hmm. and has just moved out and they just for the first time talked about it after 10 years he was like what was the last thing that your mother said and he's like she told me to survive 
That's a lot of emotional repression. I, I'm not saying because I do believe in spirits and all mm-hmm, that. So mm-hmm. I totally think that people can be lost. And I think that some of us are more sensitive than others to seeing those things. But I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I believe it. I know a lot of people don't believe it. And it could just, it could just be that. It could just be 100% PTSD, which is what a lot of other people thought. I thought this was cool. It also talks about this um, in the in the Unsolved Mysteries is that that priest, that Buddhist priest, Kaneda, and his wife, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, he has a wife. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I guess they're not like Catholic priests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they started this cafe called Cafe. Do you remember this? Cafe de Moncu. It's at the very end. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a way for people, I guess people come there and they all just hang out and have fun and they talk. Mm-hmm. They talk about their feelings. They talk about their grief. They talk about the people they miss. And it's a way for them to like heal. I thought that was the cool. He just seemed like the coolest guy ever. That's that's good. Yeah. That's neat. It was neat. Do they have cats at that cafe? Because if they don't, they should. Just I don't saying. know. So that's all I was going to talk about with the tsunami and the ghosts and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. it was really creepy, but it was also really touching and really sad and heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think it's... I knew that that happened. You know it's devastating for people. I feel like it's good to see it and watch it and learn about it and see how what really happened. But I read a couple of ghost stories recently that were actually about people who had carbon monoxide poisoning. And I almost did those for my science news as a reminder for everyone to go check their carbon monoxide detectors uh, because there were these people who were having issues like seeing things, apparitions. They would wake up and things would be open or things would be moved around. It turned out that they had carbon monoxide poisoning and it wasn't severe enough that they died. They would just get up and do things and not remember that they did them. Whoa. And I was like, I wonder how many hauntings... That is wild. Yeah, are attributed to carbon monoxide poisoning. So get your detectors checked. Yeah, check your (laughs) damn detectors. So here is my organization to support. It is called directrelief.org. It's a humanitarian aid organization. They they did a lot of good after the earthquake and tsunami. Mm -hmm. They're active in all 50 states and more than 80 countries with a mission to improve the health and lives of people affected by poverty or emergencies without regard to politics, religion, or ability to pay. And you can go straight to it and you can donate and go read all about it. They're involved in like every major natural disaster or, Mm. you know, that's happened. They're the ones that are there. That is my story. I really have enjoyed (laughs) today's recording session. Let's talk about the emergency preparedness. Oh, right. Well, I think you definitely need some Time Life books. Yes. Particularly the Enchanted World series. I think that had I acquired those books as a young person, I might not have been so frightened as a 25 year old watching Mm -hmm. The Grudge with you. I wonder if it would have made you believe in things more. Maybe that's why. Maybe. Because I got my hands on these things when I was like a little kid Mm -hmm. and I just ate it up. Yeah, I didn't start hearing scary stories until like fourth grade. I vividly remember I had a teacher, Miss Orr, Mrs. Orr. Maybe that was like third grade. I can't. Like. Third or fourth. Like you go mining for ore? Like O-R-E. O-R-R. Oh, okay. Not O-R-E. Mrs. Orr. Okay. And she read from Scary Stories You Tell in the Dark. That one. Okay. That book. And she read like, yeah, the ribbon story. All the like, it was Halloween time. And you were like, oh my God. 
And I was like, what are these stories? And your mom would be have been so mad if she had known. Oh, yeah. I was not allowed to watch scary movies ever. Mm -hmm. The very first movie I ever saw that was PG-13 was Jurassic Park. And it came out when I turned 13. Really? Yeah. I watched all kinds of stuff on HBO. I think uh, maybe for our emergency preparedness kit, the Time Life. Definitely what is it? What the is full it series. Enchanted series. The Enchanted World. Enchant- the Enchanted World All 21 series. of them. All 21. Not just three, but also you need a healthy fear of things <laughs> that are scary. There's a commercial. Oh my God. A rabbit's foot carried for luck. A pinch of salt tossed over the shoulder. A sense of foreboding at the sight of a black cat. Are they harmless superstitions or reminders of a darker time when the world was young? Nature seemed all-powerful and humble charms were man's best protection against unknown evil. Enter the Enchanted World, a spellbinding series from Time <laughs> that probes the forgotten origins of the world's strangest curiosities. In each lavishly illustrated I was so volume, dialing this right now. storybook lands were the original endings I to remember the tales of this childhood who weren't happy ones. Especially that fairy. The Enchanted World takes you back to a time when restless apparitions drifted through darkened wow, this hallways. this is a long commercial. Some ghosts were nothing more than cold spots on floors or shadows in corners. Others took human form. A time when men who called themselves sorcerers used the tarot to prophesy the future. The hanged man dangling from a gallows was a sign of life in suspension. While the death card indicated change. And a time when malevolent creatures were thought to stalk the night in search of hapless victims. Unwise was the wayfarer who journeyed by night. For in the shadows, greedy eyes glittered, claws curled, teeth clicked. Begin your journey through the enchanted world with wizards and witches. Examine it free for 10 days. If you keep it, other volumes will follow. One about every other month. Spells and bindings. We, we made it to three. And water spirits. We can afford it to be on three. Where anything is possible. And a little luck never hurts. To examine wizards and witches There's free me. for 10 there days, is. just call 1-800-423-4400. Keep it and pay just $14.99 plus shipping and handling. Buy only the books you like. $14.99? So act now. Call 1-800-423-4400. That's 1-800-423-4400. That's a lot back then. Man, I love that I can you're just sitting there with the phone 1-800-423-4400. I was like, "Mom, mom, <laughs> I'm going to get these books for school." <laughs> My poor mom. That's an amazing commercial. Yeah, I probably you can't play the whole thing cuz that was like that was a while. I might play the whole thing. <laughs> I, I just want to say that commercials used to be really long, though. We, we're too used to the, the option of skipping. Yeah. Skip now. We just skip over We it. forgot that commercials used to be like a And you had no choice. Five minutes. You I just mean, had to sit there. You had to run, go pee, get a drink, get back in time for your thing to start. And you had plenty of time. The commercials about with the music, like the series of love songs from the 80s. From bands like Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> These are going in the emergency. I've, I love it. They're great. My mom today, when I called her, she's like, I can't believe you have those. She didn't even know. 
I was like, oh, you were yeah. like, these are treasured. I have treasured them my entire life. That's amazing. And I only have three. <laughs> like, I will be passing these down to my children. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Megan, for listening to my long story. I hope you didn't get too scared. That was a wonderful episode. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't too horribly frightening. We dove into the really scary stuff. We learned about the culture. Yeah. We learned about Japanese, you know, how they see the afterlife. Mm hmm. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. So, Megan, we have a patron to we shout do. out. We would like to say thank you so much, Kayleen, for joining our Nature Nerd official family. Thank you, welcome. Kayleen. Welcome, welcome. We hope you enjoy some of the bonus episodes and science news. And if you would like to become a Patreon, just go to our website, click the link, or you can go to our link tree and Instagram. And it's as easy as that. Just go to Patreon and sign up. It takes seconds. It's amazing. You'll become a certified and nature nerd. Another way you can support us is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker. Be sure to give us your address on the contact form on our website or email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail Another way you can support is go to our website and check out our sponsors. See if there's anything you'd like to order. There's links. You can get discounts. They're all zero waste or eco-friendly businesses that support us and we love them and we're not going to read the ads, but you can go check it out. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those things. Click that follow button. That'll help us out as well. You can also send us ideas for topics that you would like to hear. Crazy stuff you found online. You can send that to our email or DM us on Instagram. And until next time. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Of the aristocratic class. Aristocratic. I just read that so weird. Surrogate All I remember about that movie was the girl who like the jaw was gone. I can still see it very vividly. And she in was my just mind. like walking. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I 100% remember when where we were when we watched that movie. Oh yeah, I was fingers over my face. We were still Peace Corps yes. that time. And you, you were like, hey, I got this movie. Do you want to watch a scary <laughs> movie? And I was like, I don't really like scary movies. And you were like, it's not that bad. <laughs> I'm the worst friend I ever. I didn't sleep for like a week. You had to sleep in the same room with me. Yeah, that's the time. And I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. <laughs> I was staring at you all night long. On the, I was sleeping on the floor on Which like a mat. Like, that in and of itself is really creepy. Yeah. And you were sleeping on like a platform a little bit higher than me. Yeah. Like, so I'm looking underneath the platform <laughs> and then you're sleeping. Up, and there was a fan in the room and I made you leave a light on. And the fan was like. Yeah, the fan was making the same noise that the creepy <laughs> ghost made that like eh. like it made this every time it turned like halfway and then like as it would turn uh. back it'd be like eh. <laughs> and i was like i cannot and i think at one point i was like jen <laughs> but you were, you were like asleep and i was like jen i'm not okay <laughs> i'm in my 20s in and, my twi- and that's I was like, the thing is like, I really hate sleeping with a light on. So I was probably pissed off to begin with. Yeah, but I'm I was like, like, whatever. Can we leave a light on? <laughs> I also don't sleep with lights on. This is like before we had Never. kids. And- yeah. But now I think I can handle those things a little bit better. I, I, don't I, mean, think- I just love that little Jen read that and 100% was like lemon. <laughs> 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 oh, you're like.
<laughs> and then like 30 years later, Jen was like, yep, still lemon. Still lemon. <laughs> but I will corroborate that the uh, the typeface that Time Life chose was not very clear. They should have gone with something like Comic Sans. Like- so we could all know for sure. <laughs> I'm like, they didn't even capitalize it. It just <laughs> love it. Even care. <laughs> what jerks? <laughs> Freaking time life, man. I mean, you're gonna call somebody lemon. At least capitalize. You paid three payments of <laughs> 19.99 for those. I always wanted to order something on from the TV, you know, but like I was too afraid of my mom's wrath. I probably asked her. Like she That's was in her room trying to take a nap, and I was like, I was all like, <laughs> Mom, Mom. <laughs> Mom, mom, and she's like, "What? <laughs> Can I order time like my educational? Cheap. It's educational." She's like, "Fine." And I just like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay, we have a lot. We have a lot more to go here. I'm excited. I feel like this episode <laughs> is going swimmingly. This is <clears throat> a quality episode, you guys.